Hey, what's up? Today we are talking to Joel Wanasek, a music producer engineer who has hit number one on the billboards and also has started the largest academy for music production in the entire world. This dude's awesome, really good entrepreneur, and he has a lot of good ideas about how to properly run not only a business, but also yourself in the music industry. Before we get into the episode with Joel, I have to tell you about something new that we have launched. You can become a member of the Burn This World podcast and get exclusive content. Like after this episode, I sat by myself and kind of went over the episode recapping the points that stand out the most to me. I also do icebreaker questions with the guests and you see a lot of behind the scenes writing sessions of my music, like the latest Browning record and a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, it's a good way to connect with the community like this, and it's a good way for you guys to support us in doing this podcast full-time. It's only $3 to become a member. Head over to burnthisworld.com, click the Become a Member button at the very top, and then you can subscribe for only $3 a month. Thank you so much. Let's get into this episode with Joel Wanasek. I am Johnny McBee, and you're listening to the Burn This World podcast. You said that you just had to rearrange your whole studio. Yeah, you know, I bought a... Okay, so about a year ago... Well, hold on. I need to back up. Sorry. <laughs> um, I mixed hybrid. Well, started off mixing in the box, and I mixed hybrid for a while, meaning with analog gear. And then I went in the box for the last five years, and I've come full circle about a year ago, and I ended up buying a console for the first time in my life. And honestly, I think it's the greatest decision I've ever made as a mixer. So um, I've kind of had it off to this little, little like Home Depot uh, saw stand <laughs> because I couldn't find a good desk. And then I finally found a desk that is great. And I rewired my entire studio yesterday. I literally feel like a bowling ball hit me 74 times in the head because <laughs> it, every body in my uh, bone in my body just hurts right now. It's rough. Yeah. And so you, you have like a physical like uh, mix, like mixing console, like a board and everything. Correct. So yes. why do you think that that made such a difference for you? Well, I don't think, um, you know, I, I'm, I'll, yeah, from, ex, from experience, I'll tell you, um, there's something that gets lost despite, okay. So I, one thing I do is I own a software company, so I know how plugins for mixing and stuff are made. And while the technology's drastically improved in the last 20 years, you know, I have a staff of programmers, so I know the limitations of the technology and how much farther it needs to go to catch up to emulating electricity correctly. And, you know, I, the problem is, as mixers and audio professionals, we, we're getting lazy right now, meaning that it's a lot cheaper to mix in the box in a computer and not do things on an analog domain because you can literally set up for like $1,000 and all of a sudden now anybody with a laptop can, can produce. But the thing is, if you want to be competitive and you're mixing for radio and stuff like that and uh, formats like that, like I do, uh, you're going up against people that are long-term incumbents that are super mixers, super famous. And a lot of those people are using um, hardware. And the reason they use hardware is because it just flat out sounds better. Okay, now what does that mean in terms of actual quantifiable things for somebody who's not an audio dork like myself? Um, the way that music translates through speakers uh, when you're using actual gear is more exciting to listen to. And there's just something about it that feels better. Where digitally, it's kind of like, I, I use the, here's a good analogy, okay. It's like going and looking at a digital print of the Mona Lisa on your computer versus actually going 
and showing up at the art gallery and seeing the actual painting itself and all the depth of the oil and the detail on the canvas, you know, and you can smell it and, you know, you're, yeah. you're in a gallery with a bunch of people, like it's a real experience. So something is getting lost and I don't know why I don't have a scientific explanation for this, but my job is to listen and turn knobs and stuff and also educate people how to do it. So um, one of the things is I like to do is just observe, but something is definitely getting lost in the translation of newer music that's mixed entirely in a computer. And I'm not sure why, but I can feel it in the way the energy of music moves. Like if I go back and I throw in some like, let's take it back to like new metal, right? Like mid 2000s, stuff that was mixed on large format analog consoles. I remember just like getting around my buddy's car and just jamming with his sub, like be like, oh, check out the new corn album or the new Limp Biscuit. And like you would just listen to music and it would give you goosebumps. And now I feel like a lot of bands just aren't connecting. Like it just doesn't while things are technically mixed really well and almost at a higher level than they used to be, they don't necessarily sound better, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so I hopefully I didn't overcomplicate that because oh, no. I know not everybody that listens to this is an audio person. No, I mean it's something that we talk about a lot where um music doesn't doesn't feel like it has the same um impact and not only for me personally like my the main thing i focus on is songwriting uh rather right. than uh producing itself but not only in songwriting but i think you're right there's some there's some rawness that i feel like doesn't exist anymore everything can be super super polished and i think that that loses some of the natural um the natural tonality that you know especially aggressive music should have I agree, but I think it goes beyond that. And I'll explain why. Because we've been editing at a hyper micro level. Like people have been replacing drum performances with one shot samples for decades now, right? Yeah. So people have been editing is, you know, for three, four decades at the level that we do today. Um, well, maybe not that. I don't want to exaggerate, but I mean, people were doing things in analog tape that are absolutely mind blowing and insane in terms of editing and comping. And, you know, the computer has made it a lot easier to copy and paste things and tune everything perfectly and turn everything into like robotic music. But people have been doing this for 20 years. So my question is then why does music 20 years ago hit so much harder with so much more energy? Yeah. All right. Not necessarily like the songs are better or worse, but like, you know, the actual physical impact of speakers pushing air why is that sensation? And the only thing I can come up with to answer that question right now is the production techniques and formats have changed. And um, because I don't think it's necessarily the editing, but I do agree. Like you can definitely edit as a producer, you can definitely edit the soul out of a record. So I kind of went back analog because I wanted to capture more excitement out of the artists that I was working with yeah. and make it translate better. And more importantly, I want the music to be timeless. Like this is a problem I have is that it's easy to get caught up in like the hype and the fads, especially when you mix like big league stuff. Cause every, every week there's something new and like, Oh, everybody's doing this on the radio that you got to chase it. If you want to keep up with the pack. But the problem is remember auto tune in like 2012, like it was hot for a yeah. minute. And then everybody was like, they look back at that. They're like, Oh God, that's so stupid though. So, um, I don't want my mixes right in 20 years to look back and be like, Oh, that sounds like shit. I want to look back at the work that I'm doing now and be like, this is badass. Like this translates really well. Like if you go back to like Metallica's black, black album, album, right? Yep. It's the 91 <laughs> dude still hangs and is competitive with pretty much anything that came out. It still sounds incredible. And it's three decades ago. Yep. So that just goes to show that what, you know, when you're thinking about as an audio professional, you want to have, you want to have that, idea of timelessness to your work and so for me it's like i understand everybody's going to digital tools because you get paid more and it's faster and you can be lazy and you don't have to invest a ton of money but i don't care about convenience i'm getting paid to make the artist sound the best they possibly can and to translate the energy of their music and the emotion to the listener and their original intent through the speakers 
And if I'm not, I need to do that on the best possible format. And for me, that's still hardware gear. I will not have invested in it. I would have just stayed in the computer. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is, this is something I literally had a conversation with uh, last night with my, um, my friend Keem. And we were talking about how even the stuff in like the 2010s, like, like uh, Chiodos, like everyone can sing a Chiodos yeah. song right now. Um, right. And I'm curious, we were talking about it. I was like, I don't know if I can name a, um, a popular artist in the scene that in, tw- in 12 years, people are going to be singing their song still. Like, um, maybe it's just because we're I mean, older. I think you're but, right. But I also think that there's nothing that's so impactful. There's something to be said there. Like, I'm a big fan of 80s pop music yep. because the, the hooks they wrote back then are just devastating. Like, yep. you go back and listen to, like, Phil Collins or Madonna or anything Niall Rogers yep. touched as a producer, like Chic, or I guess that's technically 70s. But just so many songs, like, in the 80s, mid, sort of, like, mid-90s, I mean, just annihilated with the hooks. I mean, it was so fresh. And, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of reasons, I guess, we could deep dive into this, but... I think one of the things that's really changed in the industry is as budgets have gone down, um, it's opened the door for everybody. And while it's amazing that everybody's making music now, and I think highly encouraged, the problem is that the bar of quality has also gone down because, um, because the budgets aren't there. Like you don't sit with an artist. Like for example, back in the day, a record label would go and they would invest in an artist for the long run. You know, they might do like a several album deal and they would go in and find some diamond in the rough. Now everybody's just like, if it doesn't hit tomorrow, it, you know, it's kind of like one night stands with artists. And, yep. you know, it might take a record or an artist four records to find that thing that really impacts the marketplace and changes music forever, right? But if they don't get that chance because um, they don't have the funding, that's the problem is like, you know, those amazing songs aren't getting written and aren't getting out there. There's just, uh, I think, a, a plethora of uh, a larger variety of more mediocre stuff where before you really, really had to be special to get that kind of investment money. And even then you had like what a 7% success rate. Yeah. Yeah. And also like they used to spend forever, like in a proper studio, like they, a band would be in the studio for over a year, you know, <laughs> like oh, yeah. the full band sitting there with a producer and an engineer and probably a couple other people involved in these songs. And they were all sitting there for a long, long time. Now it's uh like, I've heard of bands going in with like two songs written. They have to crap out 10 songs in two weeks. Like, yeah, I mean, a lot of bands are writing on tour and then they walk into the producer. So what's happened is like the rules have changed in the studio a lot. Now producer means like 600 things. But back in the day, the producer was like the person who would come in, you know, they weren't necessarily like EQing the guitar and making the, you know, plugging in the microphone. They had an engineering team. Their job was to deliver the vision of the record with the label and organize all of the musicians to get the best songs and the best, you know, do we need to have external songwriters? Okay, let's go to the publishers. Do we need to, uh, you know, all the, they were, they were like the quarterback. They were the overseer, the CEO of the company. They weren't making the widgets in the factory. They were like, Hey, our production stuff is on time and the quality is great. And we, we're going to do this big deal over here. You know, that's kind of like, I think a good analogy for what a producer used to do. Now a producer's like, hi, I'm sitting in my apartment and I've got a setup and I'm going to write your song. I'm going to record it. I may mix everything. I may not mix everything. I may master everything. You know, it's like one-stop shops again, which is great because that was my life for literally like 10 years. All I did is, you know, a band would come in and just start to finish song in a day or two. And it was awesome. But if you want to be competitive against the best people in the world, there are very few one-stop shops out there. A lot of the big mixer, you know, a lot of people just specialize at a certain point. Like you have a mixers, mastering people, producers, top liners, 
songwriters, engineers, and um, this, the most successful people do it usually as teams where it's like you might hear about a particular producer, but what you don't know is that producer has 37 people on his team yeah. and half of them are writers. <laughs> yeah. That's why they keep cranking out hits because they pick up the best talent every single year that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, as a musician, I always have done pretty much anything possible to make a living. And so like, uh, I, I was always capable of self-producing, not like at a super high level, but what I did was unique enough that pe- fans of my music wanted me to record them as well. If they wanted to sound like my band. Right. But one thing about it was I felt I had to use so much of my creativity recording these bands because I was essentially writing songs for them where it's like, I just want to record your songs and make your song as good as possible. But it ends up in actually literally writing songs for people um, a lot of times. And I do think that that takes like, that should be a very specific, like focused job. Like, I mean, if you do, you know, you talked about black album, if you watch, uh, Metallica's documentaries about that and talking about Bob Rock and how much he transformed their music and um, even just like him making the decisions of, you know, maybe you should play this song like 10 BPM slower and it making that much of right. an impact that he had the foresight to be able to do that. But if he was sitting behind a, a desk, also worried about sonically like the details, he might not have had the focus to be able to get those those things that really made a big difference. Right. I think it all comes down to, I mean, as an artist, so um, I had a post about this the other day that kind of, I, I, you know how the internet is, sometimes you, you write something and, uh, you know, despite your best intentions and wording it, there's always going to be something that you miss or like don't yeah. word clear enough or it gets misinterpreted or spun depending on the narrative or the story. So I had a post about artists self-producing and I said that I believe that most artists shouldn't self-produce. It's yep. not that I don't believe people should. I actually encourage it. And I think it's amazing. And But what I'm saying is if you want to be commercially competitive, right? Yep. Like, I, and not everybody wants to do it. I mean, like, what level do you want to play at, right? If you're putting out your own music, awesome. But if you want to go out and you want to be a pop star, if you want to be a rock star, if you want to be, you know, in a huge metal band, a lot of these people don't understand um, that are coming up or like younger artists that, you know, that framework exists for a reason and it's not to pay for itself. Like some people were trying to accuse me of like, Oh, how are you guys? Sounds like you're desperate for work. I'm like, bro, I'm a mixer, not a producer. Yeah. I have as much work as I could ever take. And I, you know, I'm good, but um, it, it's, it's interesting. The narratives people have around it. It's like, if, if you're that like industry success minded and that's what you want to do and that's your goal, you absolutely need to go and work with a team of people because it's too overwhelming because of simple fact of opportunity costs. Like you and I could play in a band, right? We could write songs. We could focus on production. We could focus on social media. And it's too many hats to wear and to be great at. Instead, you get you do a lot of things and you're mediocre at them. Instead of like, you know, a band, your job is to entertain and just be rock stars. Like yeah. your job, you know, to be larger than life. So that's social media that's on stage. Uh, that's writing the best songs that you could and just bringing a dramatic presence, right? And, you know, playing your instrument and stuff like that. And the producer is there to help you execute that vision. And a mixer is there to make sure that, that every song comes through the speakers and sounds incredible. And a mastering engineer is there to make sure it's all consistent. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. checks and balances are there. Because again, like I own multiple companies, right? And like I couldn't run one of them just by myself. If I self-produced my company, I'd be out of business by the end of the week. You yep. need a team to do anything big. Most of the time, some people are freaks and <laughs> are superhuman, but that's not realistic for us to sit around and say that, oh yeah, anybody 
can do anything. Yeah, they can, but they're, you know, statistically speaking, the odds are against you so that you can increase your chance of commercial success by having a team. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's oh, something. Yeah. Sorry, that, excuse me. Oh, you're good. That's <laughs> something that can be very difficult for some people to do. Like even, oh, yeah. even me personally, um, it's something that I've recently realized, like I, if I really want to have success in multiple things, then I, I need people helping me along the way. That's something I'm still like struggling with. Like I have people that help me with this stuff, but it's hard for me to even be able to pass off some tasks to people. Cause I'm like, well, I'll just do it, you know? And absolutely. <laughs> I, I and feel, I understand, you know, know, like you got to take a business owner's mindset. So the problem with being an entrepreneur, right. Is or like a music producer or just somebody that has something that can scale to some degree is that at some point, usually you're the most invested in what you're doing yourself, your own career, and you're going to work harder than everybody else. And you're going to probably do a better job because you care more. But at some point you realize that you're the roadblock, you're the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And if you want to actually become hyper successful, you need to get the hell out of the way of the train. And in order to do that, you need to scale, meaning you need to get people who are better than you at certain tasks. And while you may be damn good at, say, writing copy, or you may be damn good at TikTok, or you may be damn good at songwriting, at the end of the day, you can't be damn good at absolutely everything right. because you only have 24 hours at a day. Yep. And you know it's just not realistic. So you know, you have to scale and there's a lot of, it's hard as an entrepreneur emotionally to let go because you know, you can do better than most people at it. But the problem is, like I said, is there's only one of you. So you have, somebody has got to focus on the big picture. How can you focus on the big, big picture if you're answering customer service emails? Yep, exactly. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> yep. And like, you know, if you, if you can only put, you know, 30% of your time into something, then you're only getting 30% of the outcome possible. So it's like the, the, the brain behind the project probably needs to spend 100% of the time really focusing on that trajectory and the long-term goals and making the best product possible. And um, again, that's even for the people listening, that's even something like right this second, I still very much so struggle with. It's just, it's, it's difficult to get out of that mindset, but it's like kind of, but not, it's not even necessarily about put the ego to the side, but more so about like um, if you do have an ego, then you realize that you should be focusing on some some really big picture things and some of the the daily tasks or stuff like that could probably be um, you know put off to someone else and also like I I really like helping people as well and I like you know getting getting people job getting people extra money especially in the creative realm a lot of people need it and so being able to provide that for some people is really nice as well um, even on a low level. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, I think um, a couple things you said. Um, I think it is important for somebody to have some sort of positive self ego because there's negative and there's positive yeah. ego. Like, I've never met somebody in the world who's great at what they do that doesn't know that they're great at what they do. Like, yeah. if you're good at something, you know you're good at something. The right. problem is, there's a lot of people that think they're good at things and they're not. <laughs> so, you have to have a certain self cheerleader aspect, I think, to be highly successful. And mm -hmm. I've seen this over and over and over in the in music industry, um, especially as we've built um, URM, which is the largest rock and metal mixing school on the planet. And I, I know every major producer out there pretty much on a first name basis, minus a few people. But, you know, when you're sitting around with somebody who's, one of the, you know, a hyper producer who's just put out some of the greatest records of all time and the genre and you're sitting around and they're telling your story. And then you have, you know, you hear that same story just echoed with different words and different situations across, you know, different groups of people. Yeah. And it's, it's the same theme over and over and over. So, you know, at some point, 
um, the odds are against you, right? And no one's going to want you to succeed at first, right? Everybody's going to be like, you know, like when I came up, it was, oh, why don't you get a real job? Why don't you do this? Why, why are you recording songs in your mom's basement? Didn't you go to college for <laughs> IT and blah, blah, blah? And, yeah. and it's just like, this is what I want to do. And I'd rather fail and uh, burn my 20s trying to make it. And, you know, mm-hmm. it paid off for me in the long run. But um, I had to believe in myself first and foremost and had absolute unwavering conviction in what I was doing and my ability to do it. But then more importantly, I had to actually go out and execute on that conviction, yeah. uh, which was brutal. But um, if I didn't believe that I could do it, I mean, because you know, I think everybody has some imposter syndrome to some degree, but if I didn't deep down internally believe that I could do it, I wouldn't have made it because it was too hard. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, this, this, is, this is another topic that I talked to Akeem about recently. Um, you said that someone has to, you know, know that they're good, right? But what yeah. is the what's the difference between cockiness and confidence? That's a really thin line, and <laughs> that's something that um, I mean. Again, as a producer, I, I've worked with just hundreds and hundreds of artists. I've mixed many, many thousands of songs, and it's like you meet all different types of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the hard part of success um, is that our brains aren't wired for it. Okay. And this is the hard part. Like you, I think you need checks and balances in your life to kind of keep you there. Because like I said, I've seen people who are just gifted beyond belief, but they knew that they were gifted to show they were entirely lazy. And I've seen people who are, you know, super humble, but they have no work ethic and no drive to be great at something because they don't believe they're great. And I've seen people who are super humble, absolutely dominate just crush through hard work and i've seen people who are super arrogant absolutely dominate and crush through just absolute perseverance so um you know you see all lives and walk uh walks of life if you live long enough and yeah. you know i'm 41 years old so I've, I've been around a little bit um i think you need some balance in your life because i remember like when i was in a local band for like a decade slogging out and then all of a sudden my band got picked up by tko which is the kirby yeah. organization so next week we're on tour with papa roach and Buck Cherry playing 10,000 seat arenas. And like, it was crazy to me because I would go to like the local bar. We would hang out on the weekend. And the week before, everybody was just like, fuck off. Like, don't talk to me. You know, it was, it was competitive local band bullshit. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, after that happened, I come back the next day and everybody has their head jammed a foot <laughs> up your ass. They're like, bro what's up, man? You're my guy. And you're like, who the fuck is this person? I've never met them before. Yep. And you're like, and, and, you know, everybody comes up to you. Everybody wants to be, everybody wants something for you. And it kind of can jade you. So I, I've seen that played out to extremes, like with like rock stars, right? So I've, I've seen some people who are just larger than life personalities who are just like the most down to earth type of people. But, you know, some, some of them have had psychological coaching on how to cope with that. Um, but I've also seen people just like, I, I don't want to name names, but I mean, I've seen people where literally they're like, you can't even fucking talk to me. Like, don't even try fuck right. off. Like I've had, I had a person once, a very famous singer of a band when we were on tour, just put his hand in my face and told me to fuck off just for saying hi. Where then, you know, conversely the singer for the other band, um, who I should say is still on the charts and annihilating today. Um, actually, uh, just one of the nicest people I've ever met in most genuine, just hardworking, cool, like, you know, mm-hmm. you're like the crappy opener on the bill and they'll be like, you know, they're, they're these huge rock stars and they'll just like take you under their wing and give you advice and super nice and like just kind. So, yeah. you know, there's all spectrums. And I think that you have to be ready to accept that that could happen in your life. And then you have to be ready to cope with it mentally because going on tour and playing with that kind of attention around you where you're like, 
on stage, you know, you almost feel like a god, like you're invincible. And then coming back to normal life, it's not something that people are wired to be able to handle or yeah. like having mega success. It can really mess with your brain because it will amplify who you are, uh, especially when money's involved in a lot of it. It will amplify who you are and um, bad and good things can come out of you. Now, like I said, you need balance. Like for me, that's my wife. She kind of always kicks me in the ass if I get out of line or whatever in one way, shape or form, or I have good business partners. You know what I mean? So you yeah. need balances in your life. I think that's, that can help moderate like ego and just um, keep you, keep you level headed and, and grounded. Um, another strategy real quick on that topic that I think is important is just always remembering where you came from. Like every time I see somebody just make it overnight, um, generally what happens if they haven't put in the time is it goes to their head and they get out of control because it's just like, you know, past performance doesn't dictate future success, but it's easy to believe and convince yourself that it does. So I've seen a lot of people come in and like overnight success and they, they just, they go to like another planet and then they flop and fizzle and then they can't handle the psych psychological breakdown that happens afterwards. Yeah. And I've seen people that have had a nice slow grind and then pop. And then what happens to them is usually they're a little more level-headed because they can always look back and say, well, I came from this, you know, I was working 16 hours for, you know, six weeks straight living on the floor of my studio, blah, blah, blah. But that's what it took. So you can always kind of go back to that place in your brain when, and remember that, um, you know, you had to eat a ham sandwich, sleep on the concrete and tour around in a shitty van that was rusted out. And, you know, when the guitar players like peeing out this hole in this rusted hole in the door on the road, you know, like yeah. you have that story to go along <laughs> with. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so that thing, I think that that's important too. It's like just remembering where you came from and, yeah. and that, that'll help keep your head level when you have mega success because yeah. it's, it, it affects different people differently and the people that are prepared for it handle it better. Yeah. And see where you rounded that off at the end. That's like, that's where I came to my conclusion because we were on this topic for a minute. What's the difference between cockiness and confidence? And where I came to right. in my conclusion of that was that uh, cocky or confidence is earned where co cockiness is not. Uh, that's that's, that's where, a great way of looking at it. That's where I came to because, like, you know, I'm very, very confident about a lot of things that I've done in my life. Um, and very confident about like my abilities as like a songwriter. Um, but I feel like I've proven that over, over the years, you know, my band is very, very weird. Um, but these songs just resonate and have resonated with people for a very long time. Like I don't have crazy commercial success, but I have proven to myself at least that my songwriting ability is enough to hold, you know, a lot of people's attention for a very long amount of time. And so that has gave me confidence so I can, I feel like I can confidently right. say I'm a, I'm a really strong songwriter, uh, but I feel like I've earned that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I understand. I mean, I'm an extremely confident person um, to the point where, you know, when I'm in, when I'm in, when I'm not dealing with musicians and stuff like that, I can really, my wife tells me I'm a very intimidating person to be around because I'm, <laughs> I talk like a producer, like Simon Cowell, like I just straight yeah. shoot people. And, and my wife is Russian. So in Russia, they don't, they, they just tell you what they think yeah. and whether you want to hear it or not, they're very blunt. And I, that, that's rubbed off on me a little bit. So I have a tendency to go out to like, you know, the bank or something and just directly say what I think. And sometimes it like really shocks people. And they're like, <laughs> how can you say that with such confidence? I'm just like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. 
you know, I mean, so I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Like I, I myself have to be careful because again, when you're, when you're meeting new people and stuff, you kind of kind of bring down to their level. So if they're really insecure, they're going to, it's not you, it's just the way they view themselves. They will project that on you. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a negative thing, um, just like people who are super overconfident will project, uh, project that on you. So psychology is a very interesting thing and something I think every producer should study, but you have to, it's, mm-hmm. it's a necessity to be a good producer. So, um, I think that's, I think I, I definitely agree with how you worded it. Like if, if you've earned it, you know, I mean, obviously you don't want to be like arrogant, like yeah. aggressively in people's faces, but at the same time, you know, if, if you're good at something, you know, you're good and you've proven it and your track record speaks. And the other thing though, that's annoying is you kind of, when you're meeting new people, you kind of got to whip it out all on the table sometimes, <laughs> yeah. depending on who, because, you know, for example, like when you own a company, right. If I go to a marketing conference, and there's 6,000 people there who are trying to build businesses. And out of those 6,000 people, there's maybe like, let's say 200 people that have badass businesses where they make real money. It's like, those are the people when you own a company and you're, you've done well, you want to hang out with, and you got to filter through the bullshit because you don't waste your time with somebody who's like, oh, you know, they're talking big. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you're like, okay, well, do you guys, how much, what's your revenue? Oh, you know, we're just getting started. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. Now you've wasted 30 minutes of time when you could have been sitting there with somebody who could really give you like, hey, I'm, I've got this. Here's how I dealt with this HR problem you're going through. And you're like, oh, my God, that's brilliant insight. You know, like that's what you're looking for. Yeah, right? for so sure. um, you got to kind of just whip it out on the table when you go to something. So like when I go to a conference like that, like the first thing I look at somebody's arm, like what kind of watch are they wearing? Are they wearing a watch? Like, And then I look at to see if they have any like the accolades or pins of that event. Like have they earned the award or not like okay this person looks legit because they're packing like 80k on their arm and they've got a bunch of awards that i just saw them on stage like this is a person i want to talk to versus somebody who's walking around and they look like they just crawled out of a dumpster you know yeah. so um you gotta you know when you talk to somebody who's done something you kind of have to let them know immediately that you've done something or i mean again i learned this I think going to NAM the first time, you know, because my, my, for company, you are almost young. I remember talking to some CEOs of like different companies and like no one gave me the time of day when I was dressed in de- jeans and a t-shirt. Right. But when I pull up in a nice suit and I'm wearing a watch and have good shoes, people, they're like, oh yeah, they'll just like clear their schedule for you. <laughs> you know, like this person seems like they, they, they know how to make money and they do business. So, right. you know, you got to invest in yourself a little bit, if that makes sense in terms of like the way you look and the way you act. And yeah. Again, if I was going to like a metal show, I would definitely be fitting the part where if I was at a business conference, I'd want to be more businessy. So I think that's important for confidence too, is like, you got to have the ability and the confidence to just kind of lay it out because then people know you're serious and then you can actually get into a normal conversation because you pass that like filter screen of litmus test that people have, or they, they immediately judge you and they're like, is this person worth my time? Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's kind of a hard one for some people probably because uh, a lot of people, especially in like, are kind of uh, seen are like, I'm going to dress how I want. And there's, there's, you know, if people can judge me if they want to, but it's like, also that can get in the way. Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. When I say all this, I'm, I'm support, I'm, I like supported a hundred percent. I yeah. mean, I, I like a person who is a unique individual who's got an individual brand identity and like wants to live or die on that cross. I think it's awesome. But there's a time, like I said, depending on who you're dealing with, where psychologically it's much smarter in business to kind of mirror that a little bit. And you know, it doesn't matter if you have 50 face tattoos walking into a business conference. If you're dressed in a nice suit, you carry yourself well and articulately, people will take you seriously. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, if, if 
if you're, you know, you wouldn't want to show up dressed like that to like your record label debut, you know, where you're sitting in the boardroom, like, are we going to sign this artist, grab the guitar and play some songs? And, you know, you don't look like a rock star, like you might as well not even come in. So you got to, you got to fit the bill of what you want to be and who you want to be. And then, you know, it's like the, uh, the argument people are like, well, Steve Jobs dresses like a bum. And it's like, well, (laughs) look, when you've got billions of dollars like when you're elon musk you don't have anything to prove and no one's judging you because you're elon everyone knows yeah yeah like yeah yeah, you you can you can wear sweatpants every day for the rest of your life and no shirt on and put a smiley face and red paint on your stomach and walk around and no one's going to give a shit because they know who you are and what you've done yeah it's like the rest of us are mortals yeah post malone can walk in the rest of us are mortals right Yeah, and yeah, it's funny. Like, the last the rest time of I us can't do that. The last time I went and had a meeting with my label um, at their place, which my label is a subsidiary of Universal, so I'm at like Universal's like headquarters in New York City. But they yep. they had me come in like uh, two months into a tour, and so I was like, I I looked so shot. I was the meeting was at like crusty, yeah, like eight a.m. and I had to take like a ta- a forty five minute taxi into town. And I was just like sitting in this lobby and all these interns are like walking past me and they had to assume I was like a vagrant or something, just like chilling in this lobby. <laughs> but sorry hey. guys, there wasn't a truck stop between the last two shows. So I'm, if, exactly. if you didn't smell me, I apologize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag band life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, uh, but yeah, I think it's important. And I think the one thing you said that I think is very important is um, speaking articulately. I think that, like speaking well is super important. Um, and it also does just show that, um, the confidence or that, you know, that what you're talking about, like some people can get away with just like, you know, proving it. They, you know, they have the track record. It's like, it's okay. But I think when you're talking to business people or even just, if you're a band that's trying to sign to a label and you get on the phone and you're, you know, slurring your words and you're not really, you know, paying attention or anything like that, I think it can rub off very bad. But so I, I think that that really knowing what you're talking about and being confident about it and speaking well is super important, especially with how digital everything is now. I mean, I'm sure the majority of people don't even go to the label's headquarters anymore. I'm pretty sure it's probably done all on Zoom, you know? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know, I I actually got a a funny story about this. So I was one of those people that literally didn't give a crap. I mean, I'm a dad, I got three kids, Mm -hmm. you know, I I like don't, I've never cared about how I dressed, even when I was in a band for my whole life until I was about 37 years old. And this is right around the time when my company just exploded in a good way, Uh, exploded could be fall apart, but like took off and like started becoming very successful, like nailed the mix, just started annihilating. And I remember I was flying back internationally and, you know, I'm dressed in like the crappiest, like, you know, I bought like three shirts from express on discount and I would just rotate them on clearance. And, uh, you know, my jeans I've had for like the last six years and I've probably worn them every day, you know, <laughs> like very frugal person because I'm a musician, right? right? So I'm sitting on a plane next to this person, this old lady, and she's like, what do you do? And I explained it to her and she laughs and she's like, no, you don't. And then I brought up my phone and I showed her and she was like, oh my God. She's <laughs> like, why don't you dress like the person that you are? Like you look like a dorky computer programmer. <laughs> what the fuck? And um, I kind of thought about that and I took that to heart and 
around that time, I changed my personal branding and decided to dress a little bit more um, flamboyantly and aggressively. Not like aggressive in terms of like tattoos and shit, but like just like, you know, wearing bold stuff like suits and things like that, where, you know, where, where you definitely will draw a little bit of attention. Like, um, you know, always dress nice, presentable and stuff like that. And I can't tell you what a change that made in my life, not necessarily like my music career life, but like in normal society. Like when I walk into the school principal, you know, and like the plumber is in there, right? And like, we could both be plumbers, right? But if the plumber is dressed and he's got you know, or a concrete person, right? Um, you know, like if you're a day laborer and you're coming, you have concrete on your dreams, jeans, like the school principal isn't going to take you that seriously when you, but if you walk in in a sick suit with good shoes and yeah. you know, you don't need to spend a lot of money. You can literally go buy something on discount that looks like you spent, you added a zero to it, but right. you know what I mean? Like you just look sharp, your hair is done. You, you know, you look presentable, you exercise, you take care of yourself. You, you walk in rated, like that's a totally different dynamic. You walk into the bank, you know, you walk into like any of these situations in the real world, we have to deal with professionals. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you know, if when you bring it, like, I'll give you an example. I was um, I didn't have TSA pre at the time. And I was flying through security trying to, I was super late. I had like 20 minutes to catch a plane and the line was just outrageous. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen it in the airport. I live in Milwaukee this long. And I mean, it was all backed up. They had like one person on staff. It was a disaster. And I was like, well, I'm dressed nicer than anybody in the line. So I walked up to the first class line and I, I just, slap my ticket on the table and i'm like i'm so glad i don't have to deal with that and I, I laughed and the lady laughed she's like oh that's such a pay all that money and she just tapped the thing and she didn't even check the fact that i had the cheapest dirt coach ticket i walked right through security in one minute and i caught my plane so <laughs> i i'll never forget that day because yeah. the only thing difference between me and everybody else is i was dressed like i was first class even though i was literally flying like the most fair safer possible last deal you could get yeah. <laughs> so i i learned a few years ago that uh you know, when you're out in normal, you know, again, depending on who you're interacting with, yeah. it, it's worth imaging yourself correctly for the situation that you're going to be in because it, it helps check boxes for people right. who are judging you. Even if you're like one of those people, I don't want to be judged. Well, everybody is judging you, unfortunately. And, yeah. you know, do you, but at the, I'm not saying like be fake. I'm saying be yourself. But what I'm saying is that sometimes it's nice to, you know, just like uh, women put lipstick on or a concealer or whatever. Like you want to be the best version of yourself right. you can possibly be. Yeah. And it, this all just kind of falls into like fitting the part too. Cause like I think about it all the time at like music festivals or even at just normal shows. Um, like if I walk into the place and I'm just looking straight forward, I don't look at anything. I can walk into any venue with nobody stopping me. Like, and it's not like, yeah. I, you know, even if it's my show, like I'm not famous, famous enough to where the security guard knows that I'm the singer of the headlining band. I just, I just walk straight in. No one stops anything. If you look the part and you're confident about it, you know, you yeah. can, you can 100% do anything. True. Yeah. It, it's amazing how judgmental society is no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I just think it's great business advice. Cause again, I ignored that for a long time. And I didn't even realize it was hurting me until I changed it. And then I was like, Oh my God, I I'm never going back yeah. to jeans and a t-shirt again, unless I have to like shoot a video for, you know, I dress very, very nice and corporate when I'm not doing like producer stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. because again, I, I have, a, you know, I have to deal with the school principal and mm-hmm. uh, the banker and, you know, all these people, I'm like, you don't, you don't want to roll in in a shirt with a pentagram on it and a death metal band because you know, you're, that's like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not going to fly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, one thing I noticed about myself, uh, you you talked about how you changed your personal image and made a difference. 
one thing with me is I've always had long hair. Well, there was such a drastic difference of whenever I started wearing it in a bun versus having it down all the time. Like whenever I had it down, uh, people were like intimidated by me. They were scared to talk to me. People wouldn't say anything to me. I put my hair up and then everyone starts being like, oh, I like your tattoos, you know? It's just like, it's such a different you thing. You lost a tough guy metal image. Yeah, straight up. Like just putting my hair up in a bun made such a big difference of me looking just a little bit more per- put together. You know, it's such a small thing, but it, yeah, it really no, did I make mean, a difference. That's, that's incredible, but it, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, I wish society was different and we were kind of judged on our merits and our yeah. actions and our, deeds as opposed to like how we look in the first 10 seconds but right. i mean you know it's the same thing i mean if you walk into a bar and you're single and you you approach somebody um you know they're going to make a five second split judgment it's like do i want to talk to this person yes or no and then after that it's the words that come out of your mouth mm-hmm. and then i mean that's just how our brains are wired that society and to deny that i think yeah. is silly and foolish yeah and uh, and especially in like the business world 100 percent uh they're, they're yeah you are being judgment. judged yeah and especially by people with money because they only want to hang out with other people with money and yeah. they, they're very quick right. about their time and they will judge the crap out of like what's on your arm what shoes you're wearing what brand it is is that shirt silk cotton is it right. real gucci is it fake <laughs> you right. know it's like it's stupid but again these are legitimate went to nam and I went to every plug-in vendor and all these, you know, and I just totally got sloughed up. The next year I went and I was dressed nice and I immediately had everybody's attention. And it was, it was just like a different person. And I'm like, well, my business isn't that much more successful than it was a year ago. It <laughs> yeah. is a little bit, but the only difference was how I was dressed and how I carried myself. And I walked in like I owned the place as yeah. opposed to like, Hey, I'm, I, I, I run this thing and we're trying to do this, blah, 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 you know, with bad body language. And I'm like, Hey, blah, 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 blah. You know? All right. And, um, you know, you, you were talking a lot about the, the psychology, a lot of this, or a lot of this conversation is talking about like kind of the, the psychology of working with other people. And so, uh, from the mixing engineer standpoint or producer or whatever, like what is the, the thing to focus on psychologically working with bands that you think is one of the most beneficial? Okay. Well, um, there's a, oh man, there's a lot to unpack on this. I, uh, I got, let me think about, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a good one shot takeaway point. That's kind of like, um, okay. It depends on your role, but like if you're, let's just say you're a producer, right? What is your job as a producer? Your job as a producer is to come in and to get the artist to perform the best that they can do in the studio and make the best sounding record that achieves the highest commercial success. If the goal is to, or whatever the, the goal of the artist is essentially the highest goal. I don't want to say because success to one person, it means something different to somebody else. Right. So let's not judge success by just commercial success. Cause that's silly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could be successful if your, your goal is just to write one song and that's all you've ever wanted to achieve. And you write your first song and record it like that is success to that person. And yep. it should be noted for that. So a producer, your job is to make that, session as successful as possible whatever defined goal it is to bring it up to some sort of standard of quality and to get the artist to be the best version of themselves and to coach them and to train them in order to do that you need to have a lot of psychology and you need to understand um basically how human beings work and how to motivate them so uh 
I'm sorry, go back and ask me the the exact question so I can tie it. Yeah. And so basically like psychologically, what do you think is the most beneficial thing to like focus on when working with an artist in the studio? Okay. Perfect. Okay. The most psycho, the benefit, most psychologically beneficial thing that they can work on like as a producer is being able to read people and mirror their personality types mm-hmm. so they can you can gain their trust and then i don't want to say because this is a negative word it's not manipulate but guide and inspire them yeah right because they come to you as a producer okay some people get upset when people say things like this but they come to you because you're the professional and you should know better right you're there to help yeah. them and if, if not then why are you hiring that person you can do it yourself but if you're going to bring in a producer you should listen to them and take their advice and guidance i'm not saying follow them like you know there's some sort of like, uh, you know, dictator. What right. I'm saying is that that person is there to help you and you should accept that advice. So that being a given for what I'm about to say, um, I think it's important to be able to figure out people's personality types really fast. And the, the best way to do this is you take a Myers-Briggs test, which is like, you know, 16 personality types. And that's not realistic. It's like outrageously difficult. Right. Um, I learned from a very, very successful uh, multimillionaire, um, a system of categorizing um, personality types um, on a series of motivations, right? And he's got it down to four things. And basically, it's like you've got people that are motivated by like success and achievement, money, things like that, like your achievers. You've got people that are technical that are motivated by like, you know, the nerds, facts and figures, like, oh, the new zoning ordinance, blah, 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 <laughs> blah. You got those people, you know, and then you got people that are like, the party people that are motivated by fun, they walk in and they're like, hey, I got this new tattoo and look, my hair is purple, motherfucker, and I'm the loudest person in this room. Pay attention to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you got the people who are like, I just want to be part of something positive and make a nice impact and change. And I care about the community. Like you've got the um, you know, like the compassionate giver, soft type of people. And two of those types of people are completely incompatible with each other. So the, the fun going person and the technical person hate each other because the fun person is just like, yeah, man, we'll get to it. We'll knock out this song later. The technical person's like, look, we have eight hours of studio time. You're wasting 15 minutes of it having a cigarette. We should blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and this has to be planned and scheduled. They're like, man, I'm just not in the vibe right now, bro. Like, let me yeah. go out and hit a J and then hop in the booth. So you see the disconnect. If you're a technical person working with a person who is a fun loving person, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a story in a second. Um, I used to have a singer that, was one of these people. And like every day I'd be like killing it. He walked down in my studio at like 3 p.m. Like, man, I was at the bar. I got with this chick and like, man, this and this and this happened with this drama with this dude. And like, yeah, man. And I'm just like, bro, I don't care. Get on the fucking mic. Like we're already late. It's three <laughs> o'clock. Like, you know, it's like, oh, come have a cigarette. And I realized that I had to get this dude with him for 30 minutes and then he would come in and kill it. You know, like that was his litmus test. I didn't psychologically profile him before that and understand this back then. But now I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's one of those people. So if he hangs out, then he does work because I'm just like a – I'm an achiever, right? I'm one of those mega success people like maniacs. So yeah. for me, I'm just like, let's go, 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 go. And he's just like, bro, we got to hang out. So I had to learn that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other opposite personality is like the success achiever person and like the soft, compassionate, community-giving type person, the yeah. altruist. Because – you know, the success person is really confident, really intense. They talk fast. They're like, go, go, go. And that person's really soft and timid and self-conscious. And like, you know, they feel bulldozed. Like I can't get a word in with that person. They're so egocentric and they're a maniac and all they care about is success. And like, it's, you know, and that person, you know, the success driven person has to be like, okay, I got to learn how to connect with people. I have to learn to empathize. (laughs) I have to learn to talk a little bit slower and not be so abrasive about achieving our goals, right? So 
I think learning the different types of personalities and how to work, figuring out what you are, right? Your first and secondary type, and then figuring out how to read a room very quickly and learn what everybody else is doing and then try to integrate better. So for example, I have a bunch of technical people that I work with as business partners and I'll come in because I'm just like, I'm I'm a combination of the fun person and the crushing achiever. So for me, I'm inspiration. It's like a studio, you know, like somebody will come in with a guitar and I'll be like, next riff, next riff, next riff. All of a sudden you're on riff 17. You're like, oh my God, that's it. And grab that, plug that guitar in. And all of a sudden you write this amazing song in 20 minutes. Like I'm an inspiration person. When you're dealing with a bunch of technical people, they don't have inspiration. They literally wake up and they're like, here's my schedule for the day. So I'll walk in and be like, hey guys, I got this really awesome idea at the board meeting. And I'll be like, just slam it. They'll be like, well, that's not going to work. How are we going to handle this? How are we going to do this? I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, let's just do it. And then we'll figure it out. And they're like, what do you mean? Let's just figure out what if this happens? What if that happens? How are we going to do this? How it's just like, you know, by that, then they've killed my energy. So I had to learn how to be a little bit more um, meticulous in my approach and technical and then i can deal with that person and then they're like okay they've thought this through and it's not just an impulse and then they'll let me be impulsive and go do it right right <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah th- that's important stuff for dealing with artists um another quick pro tip is mirroring somebody so this is kind of goes along the lines of the psychometric profiling it's like learning how to kind of like you're like i'm an intense passionate dude so if i walk up to somebody i'm like hey what's up and they're like hi how are you doing i'm like okay technical dry soft-spoken I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm having a good show. You know, how are you today? You know, and then we could have like a softer, you got to like bring it to match. So the person you're talking to feels comfortable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and it's a really good point about this because, you know, say you're recording a a rapper that is super hype and is just freestyle. And then whenever they nail it, they ever, everyone that's there with them just freaks out. And then you're like, that was good. Let's go on. And then they, then they maybe would feel not confident about that take, you know? (laughs) <laughs> like, but if you're hype as well, what do you then mean that was gonna, good? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's like you're right. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, you got to um, bring your energy up. Yeah, and so that that's a really really good point. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think it's that, also important because you can challenge people. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Like in terms of um, the the like different people react to like the Gordon Ramsay approach, right? That works for like somebody like me. Like I love when somebody's just like, "You're not good enough. You can't do it." So I'm like, "Fuck you! Don't tell me I'm not good enough. I can't do it." Like <laughs> I'll show you, and like. So I react well to that. You do that to a soft person or a fun person, they crumble. We're like a party person. You got to be like, man, grab a six pack. Let's knock this out. Have a good time. Telling stories, telling jokes, screwing around, having fun. That's right. how you get worked on the technical person. You got to be like, okay, at 6 PM, we're going to plug in the guitar. We're going to tune the guitar for eight minutes. I got this really cool 1967 vintage guitar with this crazy pickup and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like right. um, a soft person, you got to be like, you know, I'm really invested in this project emotionally. And I, I care so much about the outcome and I'm just so happy we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And yeah, that's, that's such a really good point. And that can lead into so many different things, not even just like as a music producer, just like even if like you're a teacher at a school and you're dealing with a kid, you know, like you, you kind of got to yeah, learn how 100%. to match them because everyone hated being like the, the angsty depressed teenager and having that, uh, that student counselor or whatever, that's just like stern and, an old grumpy man and like, you know, you got to match the personality. So yeah, that, that's a really good thing. In you all 100% of life. do. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, um, on the, on the side of like creativity and the realm that you work in, um, what is it that is the most satisfying thing like that you do creatively? Like what, what's the thing that whenever you actually accomplish that you're like, that was that was, you know, you feel satisfied in not only your creative outlet, but just in general is like the most satisfying thing. 
I love nothing more than the impact that I get to have every day because we've got thousands of producers that are aspiring as well as well-established all around the globe signed up learning mixing and audio production and like we have this really incredible community at urm that's just so positive and i'm kind of like the face leader of that if that makes sense meaning like i'm the i'm the hype man the cheerleader like i'm in the community banging the drum the loudest and i I just love that like tony robbins approach so for me it's sitting down with somebody like we do like an in-person summit or like we do meetup chapters. So I've gone all over the world and met with people from Sweden to Tokyo to, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, right? Like all these different places and groups of people and to like meet people from all over the world. And, you know, you see them, you talk to them, you maybe give them some advice, you know, you sit down you work with them and then you see them like two years later and then they tell you the story of what they've achieved since then. And just seeing people grow up, in terms of their success and achievement and work hard, you know, people that are good people and just, they care and just watching them achieve something with their life and just the, the pride they have about it, you know, the, the relief they have because of the struggle they've had to go through and being able to play a small role in that is what gets me out of bed every day. I just love what we do and it's so positive and it's just really, really amazing to get to interact with people on a personal level. I mean, like I said, I've met people and sat face to face that are, you know, subscribed to what we do from all over the globe. You know, I mean, I remember I was in like Russia and I had a, a dude come take a train from St. Petersburg, which is like a four hour bullet ride or a 10 hour slow ride. And, uh, or, you know, like a two and a half, three hour flight. It'd be like going from, uh, you know, Chicago to maybe Florida. I don't know how, if that's true in terms of distance, but in my brain, it works out to be about the same. So it's, it's a hike, you know? And, um, then I remember going back like two or three years ago, finally to St. Petersburg. And like these guys invited me out to their, I like to cook. I'm like super into like cooking um, Eastern food, like kebabs and stuff like that. I just, I'm super into it, fanatic. And um, these guys are also into that. So they invited me out to their country house. And like we made this Uzbek dish uh, called plov, which is the national dish of Uzbekistan. And for me, like on a cast iron fire and like, you know, with all the correct techniques and they took the time just like to, to experience that, just the friendships too, that you make. Um, like we sat on, we went to the market and haggled for like, you know, 10 cents for a piece of garlic and like, you know, just this crazy <laughs> experience that I would never have gotten, you know, or like I, I met up somebody in Japan and I was there on tour with an artist that I had a, a song that went number one. And like, you know, they flew us the production team out as a, kind of like a reward because they're really great people. And, um, I, you know, I met up with a URM person. He just took me all around Tokyo for a day and showed me all this cool shit. And it was just like the people that you meet and the friendships that you make are lifelong. So that's another thing that like really gets me fired up every day is just dealing with the people, not only ter- in terms of that I get to inspire, teach, coach, mentor, and help people succeed, but just the friendships that I've made where it's like, I may not see that person for five years, but I, I know that next time they see them or if they're ever in town, it's like, you know, they'll take you into their house, you know, and like drop everything they're doing to come and see you. And like, that's the kind of thing that uh, that sort of bond is really special and yeah. really, really, really inspiring. So I just love the people that have come into our community and the things that they've done and just the vibe and the friendships that have been made. And it's, it's just, I don't know, it's really humbling. And yeah. really amazing to have a, some sort of small part in that. And, um, you know, it's it's definitely like my life's mission at this point. Well, what you're doing is nice. But, and I feel like it, it should be kind of the ultimate goal of uh, what a lot of people do in their life in the sense of um, this is your you have a win win 
business, you know, like you're, you make good money from your business, but also everyone else benefits as well. So it's like, uh, it's a business that everyone is benefiting from. And then the people that work from you are benefiting and it's a good environment. So everyone's just having a good time as opposed to like a business where the person in the business is killing it, but everyone else is having a bad time, you know, like, so you're in a, you're in a business yeah, where it's a good environment. Everyone wins. This is the beauty of capitalism. And I've studied a lot of economics and I've read over 30 books, uh, dyslexia moment on economics and economic theory um, in my lifetime, because I, I don't do politics. Politics are for people who are fanatics. I'm more of like a, uh, let's agree to disagree if we disagree on something kind of person, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. but I'm a little older, you know, I don't, I don't get, I, you know, it's okay if somebody has a different opinion than me. I think this is the beauty of capitalism because you're literally rewarded. Whoever creates the most value and the most positive change usually is rewarded the highest. So if I treat the people that work on my staff like crap, how many good people are going to want to come work for free? None, right. right? If I don't pay them enough money and I can't find a rate, no one's going to come work for me, you know, out on the team and fulfill that vision and the business isn't going to suffer. If I don't make an amazing product that helps improve people's lives, it doesn't sell and there's no margin. And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you have to, you are incentivized as a business person to do good stuff. Not, you know, and there are businesses that don't do good stuff, but generally, you know, it's like you want to find, like, for example, if you were discriminatory in your hiring practices, for whatever reason, there's a lot of things that somebody could discriminate against, right? Um, if you were discriminatory, like you're literally cutting off a very large percent of the talent pool. Like, who are you to say, if you're a discriminator, like what person could come in and fill this role? It doesn't matter where, what their background is or where they live or what their culture is or whatever. Like, at the end of the day, you pick the best person based on merit and the value and that they fit into your corporate culture and what you're trying to achieve and they believe in the vision, right? So you're rewarded for being non-discriminatory. You're rewarded for, you yeah. know what I mean? So that's the beauty of it. And that's the kind of the way that I see it is that um, to be a good business person, you, you have to be a decent human being because if your goal is to go out and screw and just make as much money. I know a lot of people that are very, very rich that own a lot of businesses. I have a lot of friends that own companies. And I'll tell you, the ones that last are great people. And I, I've met a lot of people that are like schemers and scammers, and they don't stay in business because they're always looking for the next thing. And it's a quick score. It's the people that are long-term players that come in and they have a great vision. Like, I want to do this. And this is the reason I want to do this in history. And this is what we're trying to do and what we're trying to change in the world that's positive. Those are the people that usually have tremendous success yep. and they do something positive with their success. And of course, they're compensated and rewarded for it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that that goes very, very strongly into the music business as well, because there's so many business people that have absolutely trashed their name by treating artists bad, by treating staff bad, like... I mean, look at, yeah. look at victory records, stuff, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, it, it just being a good person will gain you success no matter what you're really trying to do in your life, what sort of business you're trying to be involved in. It's just super important to just treat everyone right and just, you know, be a good person. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, look, we all have our good days and our bad days. We all say stuff that we probably shouldn't have at some point, you know, in time, we all, you know, like everybody, no one's perfect. I hate this like pedestal thing where people are like, you know, 
do as I say, you know, and I'm, I, you know, like people judge you with, as if they're perfect, right? And right. Anybody who's ever looked in the mirror knows that they're not perfect. And, um, we've, we've all had moments and we've all said the wrong thing. We've all posted something stupid and we're like, ah, shit, I should have worded that differently. That didn't come across right. Or I shouldn't have argued with that person and lit them up or, yeah. you know, I shouldn't have lost my temp. You know what I mean? Like I'm a father, you know? So I know what, it, I know what it's like where you're, you come in and you're like, oh, you know, maybe I was a little too hard on my kid. I shouldn't have lost my temper and yeah. yelled. And, you know, you feel dumb and bad about it. But it, we're human. Like, we make mistakes, and that's how we improve and get better. So um, definitely, I, th- I think the desire to improve, the desire to want to do good and to have, like, a vision. Hey. Oh, there you are. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's probably I me. lost you for a second. Yeah. Um yeah, I I I think that you're 100% right on all of this sort of stuff and having the right mentality both in um confidence, presentation, and then also kindness and everything like that. I think that all of those things are essential even if you're just in a band like working with, you know, four other people. Very important to have all those things as well. Um and, um, you know, understanding other people so you can work well together. It's a shame when you see a great band, like, fall apart because the people just can't, you know, uh, like, function together. But it's probably because they're too focused it's on the themselves, worst. right? Yep. Yeah, it's the worst. It's The thing is, when you add money into an equation, um, you know, you start off before you're successful playing offense. Like, you have a shared goal, and then you achieve that goal. And then all of a sudden there's a lot of money. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of external pressure to preserve and protect. And, uh, you know, for a band, for example, to, uh, you know, the last album was a hit. Now you got to follow up with a bigger hit. If you want to grow or you're going to fizzle out, like there's a lot, a lot of pressure on people that they don't understand. Like you don't just make it like you're done. You have to keep making it over and over and over. And the, the person who, like this whole concept that they had in the two thousands of like uh, perpetuated by like the four hour work week. And I do love Tim Ferriss. I think he's a great business person, but of like building something that is totally passive where you don't have to do anything and you can just sit back and do nothing is absolute horseshit because I'll tell you um, when you build something successful and then you take your eye off it, it starts to slip at an alarming rate and you have to keep the pedal to the throttle. Either you're growing or dying. Yep. You know, it's like the the body, you're aging, right? So if you're over 40, it's like you got to hit the weights and put your cells in a state of growth because they're programming themselves to die off. So the only way you can reverse that is to exercise and you can slow that process down. So it's the same thing. It's just like everybody has their their cycle, their bell curve, you know what I mean? Where it's like you go up, you have your peak and you you taper off. And if you want that bell curve to keep going upwards, you have to actively work at it or else it's going to start tapering off. And it's a lot harder to rebound something that's tanking than it is... Uh, necessarily um, sometimes to even get something off the ground. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. And being active is just so important. Um, And luckily in the modern world, there's a few different ways that bands can be active. You don't necessarily have to tour 10 months out of the year. There's ways that you can be interactive and still keep that, that growth going. And so that's a, a bonus to the modern world. I think there's a lot of things that are negative about the modern music industry, but that's the one thing that is a plus is that, you have this ability to gain fans and interact with fans on a personal level like never before. And so it's a... Yeah, anybody can make it. Yeah. 
the biggest problem I think is the lack of education that artists have. And one little niche I had when I was an upcoming producer is I was able to teach bands how to make it and get signed. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, bands don't think of themselves like business, right? So, um, this is actually a, a really powerful topic is that a lot of artists, they'll sit down and they, they, they think like, Oh, we're in a band, right? We're going to write some cool songs and go tour. And we're going to blow up or whatever. You know, they just think it's going to happen. And it's just like, not how it works. It, Cause you got to think about it like this, like what's a record label, right? They're an investor, right? They're going to take money and they're going to drop it. And so I think about it like evaluating stocks, right? So each stock is a band. If you're going to sit down and you've got 40 stocks that you want to buy and you're say Warren Buffett and you're a value investor, you're looking at like, what's the PE ratio of the company? How long, if I drop money into this, so in band terms, like um, if I put money behind this artist, are they going to blow? Are they resonating? Are they impacting? Okay, they've got good social media members. What is their engagement? Okay, I just saw them. How many asses did they put in seats? Are they able to tour? How do they interact with their fans? Do they have the right personality? What is their brand? Is their brand going to be relevant in five years? Are they a brand that's on the rise? Are they a brand that's on the fall? Or what is the overall market demographic that they're appealing to? I think that, you know what I mean? So we can use a bunch of actual physical metrics and data to look at that set and then evaluate that artist other than just, oh, I like the song and I like how they look. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like there's a lot of things because you can have the coolest band, but if it doesn't react, it doesn't react. You're doing something wrong. Something's wrong with your brand. Yep. So you don't have product market fit. So if I was in a band now, I would sit down and look at myself like, okay, how can I make myself the most desirable brand? I would look at the other artists and be like, okay, where do we fit in? Everybody's doing this, 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 and this. Here's the hole in the market. Let's conquer that little niche. Okay, now we got that figured out. What does that look like? What does that sound like? Okay, what producer are we going to go work with that can help us achieve that sound? Um, you know, how are we going to get it funded? Are we going to go for a label? Are we going to go for private investment? Are we going to uh, DIY it and try to go viral? Okay, we got a strategy there. All right, what's our social media strategy? Like, how are we going to pop off? Who's going to run TikTok every day? Who's going to do this? Like, are we studying trending things and trying to figure out who's doing, you know, marketing? Like, you see what I mean? Like, you got to think through every single thing like a business decision and think about it. Like, how can I build my band or my brand, right? Like a company. And one nice thing about bands is ideally everyone in the band is able to put forth an equal amount of effort. So you got people that can uh, take <laughs> different paths. Like I feel like most of the time that's not the case for some bands, but you can uh, you know, try to distribute that so that you guys can be all over the place, really trying to take advantage of if you, if you get that moment where something does hit, then you can take advantage of it by everyone putting forth some effort. Ideally. Um, I don't know if that's how it happens normally, but I'll tell you a story of a band that I have that's DIY that's absolutely annihilating right now. They're a band out of Janesville, Wisconsin. I'm sure you've never heard of it, nor is anybody listening has ever heard of it. You know, this is an independent band. This isn't a band that has like a lot of money. This isn't a band that has a backer, a label, a rich uncle or whatever. These are a bunch of guys that have been grinding it out for 12 years, working their ass off. They have you know, a day job where they work at like a salon and one's a masseuse, the other one cuts hair. Or, you know what I mean? Something mm -hmm. like that. So these these guys aren't like, you know, daddy came in with his money and bought me uh, bought me a ticket to ride and I'm working with all of the best in the industry and they're, you know, putting lipstick on me whether I have talent or not. Like this is this is just a bunch of guys who have grinded it out. So what's interesting to me about this band is their evolution and how they think and stuff like that. Like every time I talk to the singer, um, he's always talking about the newest, hottest thing in social media discover. Like he sits down all day at his day job, right? Cause he works as like a reception manager or whatever at a, a hair salon. And on his downtime, he sits there and he studies social media algorithms. Like this is what TikTok is doing. This is how you have a better chance of going viral headlines. 
you know, stuff like that. And he has one guy in the band that just dedicates all of his time to making TikTok videos. He's got another guy in the band that dedicates all of his time to Instagram and stuff like that. Um, he's got another guy that dedicates all of his time to writing, the, the strongest writer. So each person is playing to their strength, right? And he's got another person in the band who he works on like the macro business contact side and handles like the, the finance. So um, they all work as a team and focus on different things that they're good at, but they treat it like religion. Like every day we're going to post something on TikTok and Instagram. And every day we're going to put effort into this and this and that. Okay, now we're going to go to radio. We got to write 30 songs and find the one that could potentially be a hit. So they go work with the producer and they, you know what I mean? Like they, they treat it like a machine and they've had a lot of great independent success and they've done very well in social media because they have time to do it and they put the resources and effort in. It's been really fun to watch them because it's like, when a band that isn't signed calls you, they're like, dude, we just cracked tap 40 in active rock. I'm like, guys, I'm going to come drive down there and give you a big hug. I'm, I'm from Wisconsin too. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty impressive to see an unsigned band go out and smash it. I mean, yeah, radio costs money, but the fact is like, you know, you got to cut a lot of hair to do a radio campaign. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Like you got to save up your money and be smart. You got to sell a hustle, a lot of merch to do a radio campaign. You know what I mean? And you've got to have a good song to do a successful radio campaign. Like you can't just like, you can't just show up and half-ass something like that. So um, it's pretty impressive what they've been able to achieve. And I've gotten a lot of really good social media ideas and stuff like that. Like TikTok right now is just wide open. And it's it's so crazy how algorithmically strong it is compared to other platforms yeah. where it's like, you know, that 2014 when I started my business as my partner, Joey, one of the most famous metal producers in the world, Joey Sturgis, like he was so famous back then that like he could just post and it'd be like, you know, 2000 people would like immediately go and sign up for whatever or buy whatever he was going to sell or whatever. He just had massive reach. And then Facebook got smarter. They're like, nah, man, we're going to make it a little bit harder. So yep. um, you're going to pay for it. They killed all organic reach. Well, TikTok is coming, kick the pants off of Facebook and Instagram. And uh, they've had to open up their algorithms a little bit more. And so you got, and it's always changing what works. So man, TikTok is crazy. Like in the last three and a half weeks, I've built like a thousand follower fan base. And I'm a guy who just goes up and talks about nerdy audio production stuff. You know what right. I mean? Like I don't, I'm not like dancing and, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure no one's there to look at me because, you know, I'm not like an attractive female. So, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not doing like what the normal TikTok brand. I'm just a guy talking about like how to send files to mastering. Right. <laughs> like dumb crap. <laughs> <laughs> so I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe like I have a video that did like 20,000. I'm like, if I get my Instagram real up to that, I'd be, that'd be like an amazing day. So I was just really shocked by how open that algorithm is right now. Everybody should just be hammering shit out of TikTok. Yeah, absolutely be doing it. If they're not doing it, you're foolish. Right. And that's that's one of the most uh, frustrating things about like the one the modern world of social media is especially how much they kill your reach. I mean, I see bands with a million likes post a, a merch link and it will get like 15 likes on the post, you know, like it's. it's yeah, you got to be crazy. smarter about how you post exactly. the algorithms, though. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, I've learned this with product and this is where marketing education was very, very crucial for me is like when I want to sell a product and I got something new coming out, I don't like post a link to it or I just write a long ass because Facebook is like the every Okay, think about each social media. This is something I learned at a marketing conference that really hit me. Like each social media platform is like a different thing. Like Facebook, I view as like a blog. People come to argue, share, discuss their opinions on whatever. But like Instagram stories, dude, is like reality TV. TikTok is just like freaking e-entertainment. You know right. what I mean? So it's like each one of these is catered towards a different audience. And if you treat them like that, then you'll get better results. Yep. So I realized like, you know, Instagram is a great place on stories for me to go and have like micro opinions. Like I'm going to write little things about like, Hey, 
I tried, you know, this new mixing console today and it was really cool. And here's what I think about this. And Facebook is like, I got a new product. So I'm going to go write like a million page essay about like my journey and this story about how this plugin that we made could change your production life and why we made it, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden it's like, people will read that. I'll get tons of engagement. It won't get flagged by the algorithm. (laughs) So you just got to be smarter in how you post and the type of platform that you're posting on the audience you're posting to is the answer. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you do, you can't just straight put it out there on a lot of these things. You do have to um, do a, do something that gets people to interact. And that's, that should be the goal in general, whether you're a band trying to get people to listen to music or check out a music video or buy merch, you have to be interactive. You can't just be a, uh, you know, a spam bot for a merch store, you know? <laughs> you have to do interactive oh, yeah. things. Bands do this all the time. Like the thing that pisses me off most as a producer is like somebody will just be like, Hey bro, check out my band. And I'm just like you and 50 people that have DM me today. Like that's not how you do it. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. like if, if you're at Costco on a Saturday and like you're, you're like, I need to go get some Turkey. You're in a hurry. Cause maybe you've got to like be at a party or something, or maybe you got to take your kid to, school or whatever i don't know and then like that dude just jumps up and grabs you by the arm he's like hey do you have any needs for windows and doors and siding and i'm just like (laughs) fuck off like you know what i mean that's the online equivalent of doing that it's punishment like that's not how you promote your band and react with people (laughs) it's the worst thing you can do the other one that people do is hi can i ask you a question I'm like, well, why didn't you just ask just ask ask me a question you're wasting my time like you just ask you know, don't ask my permission, just ask and I will do my damn best to reply. That's the thing that yeah, gets me. Like people do that all the time too, where it's just like, no one knows online etiquette. It's like, just don't ask, just take your shot, say what you're going to say. And uh, if the person's cool, they'll respond to you. Right. Right. Or if you got something valuable to say. So it's kind of like you can get five minutes of anybody's time now. So make sure you're very careful <laughs> on how you use it, especially when you're doing like managers and A&R and stuff. Anybody will give you a shot. I know a lot of A&R guys that are very open to DMs, but you, you don't waste their time. You don't screw around. You don't want to look small time. You got to come in and just like right to the point. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, because everyone got TikToks they need to go watch. So they can't, you know, take extra time. To answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a really good point because I mean, I, I get it a lot too. And comparing it to like the, hey, have you uh, checked out our credit card offers here at the Walmart bank? You know, it's like, I'm not going <laughs> to talk to you at all. You know, it's exactly that. You're right. Um and so for you, you're, I feel like in, in my perspective of like, what's the trajectory of a musician or creative person, right? You've gone from touring in a band uh, at a small level to then touring in a band at a big level to producing full-time, mixing, mastering, all that stuff full-time, and then now to owning a music-based company and multiple things. So like, do you feel like you're at the, um, the like... Um, the the climax of what it means to be like a creative person career-wise or what is like your goals from here oh boy well i had an existential life crisis about this a few years ago because <laughs> i'm the kind of per- you know the goalpost always moves yeah of course and i was kind of like cool i've somehow been lucky enough to build one of the most successful mixing or just audio education endeavors ever built like it just the right thing at the right time with the right people behind it like a lot of you know there's a lot of pro- proper planning execution but there's a lot of luck and timing and you, you know what i mean like 
you, you can try to duplicate something, but sometimes something just pops off. Like, you know, sometimes you just write a song and you just like, that's the hit forever. Like that song is just incredible. It's like, you, we just spent 10 minutes writing that, but this one we spent three months on. Like, right. this is the sickest song we've ever wrote. But all of a sudden that one little stupid song you wrote, like that's the hit. And it just resonates for whatever reason. So sometimes you, uh, you build something. Um, the other thing that happened to me around that time when uh, the company started succeeding and stuff was that, um, I got my first number one song that I mixed. And I was like, where do I go as a professional? Because yeah, I want to build my company, scale it and all this stuff. And I could see that roadmap out. And, you know, maybe someday down the line, I'll sell the company or something and move on and retire. But I, you know, I don't know. Like, so then I was like, well, I'm a conqueror. So I need to conquer something bigger. And I, I so I kind of scaled myself out of the business and just was like managing it and like, you know, running it. And, um, I kind of got into another business. I started jumping, I jumped in the CBD train and actually did a substantial amount of revenue in like 18 months. But that problem is that business is just batshit crazy. Like people do insane shit in banking and like, you know, like you wake up and have like a batch of like 60 grand just held by the bank. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like you just held $60,000 worth of fucking deposits for, for, cause chargebacks are at 0.01% right. because risk. <laughs> And I can't get my money back and I can't even fucking sue you. Like what, you know, like, and you get, but you have like a hundred thousand dollar fucking Amex bill due the next day for ad spend. <laughs> and you're like, how am I going to pay this person? They're going to come kill me. Like, right. <laughs> you know, there's, um, you know, that I, I learned that, um, you know, again, I, I had a very successful run doing e-commerce for a while. And, um, the problem was it wasn't in sync with who I am and what I wanted to do. And I kind of like stopped mixing and stuff like that. And when that business went from being insanely profitable to like, this is, I can't sleep at night because of the amount of insane stress that I have to deal with because of the way that industry works and the amount of risk that I'm taking as a human being um, is just more than I want to deal with. So I decided to exit and I got out of that. And I came back and I'm just like, what do I want to do with my life? You know, cause I have time, like I've kind of scaled myself out of my bit. Like I run it, but you know, I, I, I can, I have time to go pursue some things that I want to pursue. Okay. There's hours in my work day. And I'm like, what do I want to do with my life? You know, like, because I've realized like, you know, there's a certain point where like you've met your standard of living and you can live somewhat comfortably. Like I'm not talking like extravagantly. I think it's foolish to live extravagantly because you know, if, if you're making money, it doesn't mean it's going to last tomorrow. Like business has ups and downs and anybody who runs a business knows that like you can make a lot of money one month and then six months later you could lose a lot of money and you can be like, Oh my God, what the hell happened? Because there's some glitch on a technical side or like a recession happened or a war in the Ukraine. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, like, crazy shit happens in the world. You can't predict or control COVID super virus. Like there's always something that affects business. And if you're not prepared for it, you get kicked in the balls. So, um, people that live extravagantly and buy like flashy shit and like waste money, like they end up fucking broke because they, they you know, I, I, I try to save and like live frugally and like, you know, I, I'm still of like the touring band mentality and stuff like that. You know, it's like you want some comfort and stuff in your life, but at the same time you realize that buying fancy shit isn't going to make you any happier. That's not going to fulfill you. Like after a certain point, it's like, look, can you pay your bills? Yes. Can you eat? Yes. Can you, you know, maybe like if you have a hobby or something like, you know, I like to cook. So can I go spend a hundred dollars on Amazon and buy the fucking grill that I want that's specialized that it's really hard to get in America because they don't make them because no one uses a Mongol here. Yes. I can go spend a hundred dollars and buy one and I'm not going to like, it's not going to like hurt 
my kid's education or something like that, right? So other than like little things like that, I think that what happens is everything else is just excessive. And it's easy to chase material because we live in a stupid Instagram world where everybody's like, look at my private jet. And, you know, and it's just like, everything is fucking rented and fake. And it's like, it's easy to look at glitz and glam and want to chase that. Be like, oh, I need this. But then it's, it's a self-defeating quest because you always lose because somebody else will always have more than you. And it's not about having more. It's about doing something that you care about that fulfills you every day. So I got back from doing that. And I'm just like, what do I want to do every day? And you know, I started playing guitar again. I started a band. I started releasing some music and I'm like, I miss mixing. I want to mix shit. So I rebuilt my studio and I started hard back in the mixing game and I've been just crushing that stuff and uh, getting some good charting stuff and like having a great year doing that, having so much fun. And I got really heavily back involved back in my co- company, back on like a content side. I'm like, man, I want to get my fucking hands dirty again. I want to get in there and like Talk, you know, go to meetups and hang out with people on the street and like go slog it out. And, um, you know, the community, like I just miss being in it. So that's what I came back. I'm like, I need music in my life and I want to just focus my energy and passion on connecting with as many people as I can and explaining our mission and growing what we're doing. And I don't care, you know, if it like, isn't going to turn into like, you know, the next Microsoft size company or whatever. I don't care about that. I care about the impact that I have because for the people that we impact, it matters and it matters to me. And to me, that's more important in life than chasing like a pile of cash or something like that, or like, uh, you know, something that's less fulfilling, like items and stuff like that, because I, I put a lot more value on experiences and relationships and connections than I do on tangible things. Yeah. For sure. And so you kind of went full circle where you were, um, you know, you started off in a creative realm and then you built something that was hyper successful and that kind of took over, but it took you out of your creative side. And so you've kind of uh, felt the necessary probably for your mental and for just um, the happiness in your life to go back to being more creative. Even in your company, you're doing a more creative outlet in it. Yes, I'll tell you this um, from experience. And this is, I know a lot of people don't, people have a lot of negative beliefs about money. So I hate talking about money because like people get, depending on whatever your view is, like you're going to feel very negative or positive versus what I'm about to say. So I'll preclude this. Like, um, so no judgment. Um, No amount of money in the world, okay? Unless you're like a sociopath or something, you know, and like all you care about is money, but no amount of money in the world is worth a certain amount of stress and anxiety. Yeah. It's not. And I'll tell you, cause when I was selling that stuff, like until you've woken up in the morning and had, you know, when you've got kids and a family and like had a business where like, I, I'll give you an example. I had the way that that business works is you go to like affiliate. So basically it's like going to like the Michael Jordan of, uh, or LeBron James of like ads, right? So you go to these networks of people and they get the best ad in the world that are like amazing at this and the problem is is like they open it up and you might have like 20 people running traffic to whatever you're selling right to your online store Mm -hmm. and you can't control the quality of traffic so i had a guy one day and this is right this was like literally the month covid had this was like february of 2022 and we were killing it we were just we're making a lot of money and it was really exciting because it was a new business and like we were just smashing it and um, you know, my partner that I got in with, he had been doing this business for like seven years and he was just a very long veteran, very experienced. And, um, suddenly, you know, we ran a bunch of traffic, you know, so we, we paid a company, a ton of money, you know, all on float, all on credit. Like we've been doing many times before and, you know, the customers came in and then suddenly 
they weren't real customers. And we were like, what the hell? This guy, whoever this guy was, sent us like a few hundred thousand dollars in credit card fraud traffic. And we, I, I owed the company now for this person's services because he had to use Google Pay and like there's, you know, there's markups. You know, I had to pay like an $80,000 ad spend bill for this. So I have an Amex, which isn't a credit card. Like you can't pay it off. There's not a minimum payment. It's either all or nothing, right? So the business had the cash flow capacity normally to do this because it's like you run the traffic, you get the customers in, you know, they pay, they order the product, some of them subscribe, whatever. Um, and what happened was this guy ran a bunch of fraud and then he skipped town. My partner lost like he he lost like three hundred thousand dollars. I lost like a hundred grand in a three day period. Yeah. So imagine waking <laughs> up and it's like you're crushing with your business, and then suddenly you're like, wait a minute, what happened to this traffic? And not only that, but because it was a bunch of credit card fraud, some of the stuff that was in there were actual people, and now they're like, oh, I didn't order this. So now I'm getting like better business bureau complaints, attorney general complaints, Jeez. which is, I mean, that's serious shit. Cause yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Cause this is cause I have a contract with this marketing company that says I can't, you know, like they can't do this to me and I can sue them. But the problem is the affiliate skipped town. He burned up a bunch of networks, affiliate networks, and he left to Dubai. So no one could go after him. And he burned up like 20 million plus dollars in people's stuff. Jeez. Like other people that were running different types of Nutra offers. And it was insane because, I mean, imagine like that day I wake up and now I've got all these chargebacks pulling in because these are credit card fraud. So you know, obviously you're sitting there like, if the person called in, we would refund them immediately. <laughs> like, right. You know? And like, but the chargeback, now you lose all your payment processing. So I look, lost my ability to take payments. So I can't make any money. I have all this stuff. So a chargeback, you get a $35 fee every time somebody comes in. So now I've got like a $40,000 chargeback bill. I owe the network $80,000 for the traffic they ran. They destroyed the whole fucking business in three days. I woke up shaking for months and I, I called my partner like panicking. He's like, here's how we get out of this. He had a very meticulous plan. We went through it. I have never went through so much anxiety in my life. Every time I go through something difficult in business, I'm like, I survived that. Right. This isn't shit. Like I, that, that level of fucking, like, you, you know, when you wake up shaking from stress, like a military combat person who's getting shot at, um, that's not healthy. And for me, it was like, you know, we turned the business around and it took three months and then we smashed it for a while again. And then it kind of fell apart. So I learned something very, 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 very valuable is that if you do something that's not in line with your values and who you are, it doesn't matter what you're compensated for it. You're going to be miserable. It's yep. not worth the fucking money because I don't care how much extra cash you make at the end of the day, it, it, it isn't going to make you any happier. Like I said, after a certain subsistence is met, if you are doing something outside of what you're passionate about, what you care about. There is no fucking amount of money unless you are just a money hungry son of a bitch and it's all you <laughs> care about. Because those people do exist. But yeah. if you're a normal person, there's just no amount that's worth that experience, that level of risk and that level of stress because it will destroy your health and your nervous system and that can't be recovered. You can always go out and start a new business, but you can't you can't recover your health after you shatter it. I I agree about all of that. I mean, even currently, like Whenever COVID happened, I started up a business that was totally outside of the realm of music, and we've had so much success, and it's kind of hard to get away from that 
um, not get away from it, but refocus on my goals that were not including money as the priority. And it's it's kind of hard to uh, right to be in something, but then realize you know what? Like um, I was totally fine when I was making you know uh, fifteen hundred dollars a month just making music. Like that was fine. I was capable of living then. Like you said, living in that touring musician mentality is really nice because you keep your expenses down. You're like I'm at my I'm at my minimum of what's required, and I can live like that forever. And so it's kind of hard. Like to judge, like like you said, some people are very money driven, but I think as a creative person, I always go back to thinking I need to focus on my creativity rather than just money. I think it's super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I, you know, running a business just to, to put food on the table is not like, like I, like I very clearly laid out is, is not what's going to wake you up in the morning and get you excited. Right. But doing something that you care about that you think matters where you get to be creative. If you're a creative person, like that is something you will wake up charged with an energy and an enthusiasm and a passion that's, you know, will never, you know, like it, 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 it's, it's just contagious. I mean, it's, it's not something that everybody can achieve, but for those who can achieve it, it's, it's worth the sacrifice and the risk. You know, it's like, I, I tell people like, I mean, I literally gave up my twenties and half my thirties to get to where I'm at today. I mean, I, I've had so many blocks of just 16 hour days, just grinding the wick at both ends, burning, bur- burning myself out. But at the end of the day, it didn't feel like work. Cause this is what I love. Exactly. So it was worth it. Yeah. And it's nice that now, like you said, you're 41, you can get back into that creative realm and uh, like, just really take advantage of like the position you've put yourself in and just help a lot of people um, have how get, be able to create that creative element for themselves as well. Like I love that you're running a company that's teaching people to um, really um, get better in their creative realm and just motivate people to do so. Um, That's even with this podcast, my goal is to uh, have people hear the perspectives of people in the industry and that might inspire them to want to chase their dreams or really go for it. And so I think it's really important to try to help creatives be creative and know that you can do it and you can just, you know, through determination and perseverance, like it's possible. Like it's, it's never been easy for anybody. Even if it was easy for someone at some point, it got hard at some point. There's always some level of perseverance to be able to have this creative life. I will say it's always a struggle, no matter how much success you have or you don't have. Like I said, it's like a, it's like a roller coaster. You have up months, down months, um, good and bad. But I guess what matters is that the overall trajectory is slightly upward, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's always a struggle, man. Um, you know, you got to go out and fight for it every day. But at the end of the day, um, you do it because you love it. And you do it because, you know, it, music chooses you. You don't really choose music. Because, <laughs> you know, I remember I, 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 one thing that really got me, I guess this is a core driver for me, I'll, I'll say, is that when I was doing this, like, I didn't really have a support network of people. Everybody was just like, oh, you're not going to make it. You're from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. No one makes it from Wisconsin, blah, blah, blah. Like, and it really fucking pissed me off because i'm like nah man i'm gonna make it from here because no one says i and that's why i still live here today is just because i could so i can say look i did it you know because so hopefully other people will see that and say yeah you can come from a place that doesn't fucking matter that people fly over and piss on and shit on 
and um, actually do something impactful in the industry that you care about. And yep. that it's, it's cool. You just got to go out and earn it. Yep. I a hundred percent agree. I, I think that especially in the modern world, everyone's capable of everything from anywhere. And so um, it really is an inspiring story seeing um, what all you've done and where you're at now and you know, what your company has become for so many people. And so I really appreciate you being here talking to me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Johnny. I appreciate your time. Heck yeah. I'll talk to you here soon, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening all the way through that episode. I appreciate it so much. Make sure you leave a five-star review on whatever streaming platform you're listening to. And also head over to patreon.com slash Johnny McBee. Become a member and hear the exclusive after show recap. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the next one. Peace out.